where he was like, well, Travis, I feel like, you know, and we're 14 years apart. He's like, man, I feel like you're so far ahead. Like, how did that happen? And that was because, you know, I was working full time when I was going to, when I was going to college and my job paid for my education. And, you know, I had a 401k and I was saving money. So I didn't get that college experience that some people get. And I, I feel like I missed out maybe a little bit, but I was ahead of the game, especially compared to somebody who left college with not much experience and, you know, with some debt. So I'm at a point in my life now where I'm reaping those rewards and I would say it's worth it. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is Clark here alongside my co-host Jace for episode 174. Jace, what's going on? How are you? Doing all right, man. Just trying to uh, survive the uh, snowpocalypse, icepocalypse down here in Texas. It's pretty nuts. No power half the time. Yeah, Water, wife sewer. Tells us not to talk about the weather, but Dude. we had some crazy weather this week. Dude, so it's... Tell Stacy we're going to talk about the weather. Well, yeah, she'll probably enjoy listening to us talk about the weather because as we speak right now, she is trying to melt some snow on our stove to get us some water (laughs) so using the gas that we still have access to because uh everything else sewer water we actually have power at the moment of recording this but we haven't had power for most of the day and yesterday and it's wild dude we don't we don't we, we aren't prepared i mean we are prepared like i always keep some emergency preparedness stuff but typically these kinds of things don't really happen in texas we have hurricanes and you know, the water comes in once and it's usually over on the coast, not necessarily where we live. And even with Harvey last year, it didn't really, or two, three years ago, whatever, two years ago, didn't really affect us. But this is affecting time the whole to, state. Time to go dig into your canned peaches, man. Yeah, the canned peaches, the MREs. Uh, you know, I've got a, I've got a sweet little water uh, purifier that I've never used, but I have it. So, What's an MRE? A meal ready to eat. It's like military. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, add water yeah. to them and stuff, yeah. Like this, dude, the one that I want is the space food. You ever go to like the space? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sitting in the like little plastic sandwich thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, that ice cream is my favorite. But yeah, it's been wild, man. <laughs> Everything's closed. Like grocery stores closed. Chick-fil-A is closed. Gas stations are out of gas. It's insane. It's nuts. Chick- Pandemonium. Chick-fil-A closed on a non-Sunday. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, dude, two days in a row. Wow. It's wild, man. Well, we got some fun things coming up. We just interviewed uh, a welder. This yeah, man. Uh, that that's an interesting interview. If you enjoy the show, leave a review. Helps us grow the show. This week, Aaron shared a review. So thanks to Aaron. He says, if you enjoy personal finance, then you'll love this podcast. The episodes are easy to listen to, cover a wide range of experience, and provide the listener with the full details of each millionaire's journey. Keep up the great work. So thanks to Aaron for that. Uh, last week on the show, we had Caleb. He's an entrepreneur, net worth about eight million dollars. He has 700 liquid and the rest, about 7.3 or so, tied up in his business. And so he, he talks about uh, what he does, keeping a year of payroll and a savings account. He's 24 years old, so a young millionaire. Today's show, we have Travis. He's in the telecommunication industry for 27 years. He's about 40 years old, has 20 units in real estate, and is and is worth about $2.7 million. And his focus is more on income than net worth. He also has about 700000 in his 401k and 1.6 million in real estate. So fun interview coming up with him. One thing, Jace, we were talking about, I mean, so, so often the 401k, I'm just reminded of this with, with Travis having about 700,000 in his 401k. One thing that came up with Biden that Biden's proposed is changing some of these 401k rules and offering it to, to small businesses that don't offer it within their company. So one thing he proposed is the, is the federal bank or some sort of other, other government bank holding the money, but everybody's eligible to contribute to a 401k, even if your workplace doesn't offer it. And I thought that was a great idea. Yeah, no, I totally think so too. I mean, it gives more, we talked about this on, on the episode recorded tonight with our welder. He's been in, you know, essentially union type work most of his career and, has a pension and one of his companies got acquired. So he's got a, you know, pensions from former employers and all this kind of thing. And those are just a thing of the past, you know, unless you're in, in some sort of government type role. I mean, the pensions are just, they're a thing in the past. They're, they're, they're kind of an archaic 
way of saving for retirement. And so, and, and what we've got now is, you know, Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, 401ks, and the greater employee base, you know, or, or solopreneur or, or just in general, workforce in general in this country, most people are employed by a small business, whether it's their own or, or somebody else's. And a lot of them don't have access to, you know, a 401k plan. So they're very limited in, you know, saving for retirement in a tax advantaged account. So I think it's a great idea. Kind of opens that up to, to more people and, and incentivizes them to save. Cause as we know, I mean, the uh, social security is going to be running out here for, for you and I. Yeah, and I think he's also proposing additional increase in catch-up contributions. So if you're over the age of, what, 50 or 55, you can contribute more. But what I think they should do is combine the two programs, the IRAs and the 401ks, and just say, you know, whatever it is, 20 grand or 19.5 right now for the 401k plus 6,000, 6,500 or whatever in your raw. So let's call it 25k. Just combine those two programs. And if the, if the employer wants to contribute a percentage, then great. But, but allow everybody to be able to donate up to, or to contribute up to that 25K if they want. I mean, it doesn't make sense that because a small business somebody works for doesn't sponsor a 401K plan that they, they lose out on that retirement saving option. So I think, it's a, I think it's a great idea. And anyway, just something to watch and something to keep track of. I think it's interesting coming up. Uh, let's talk real estate real quick. If you, if you are interested in investing, send us an email. We'll get you a link. Um, and, and then connect through and, and give you a, a few of the offering memorandums that we've done historically, looking for multifamily or commercial syndication opportunities, and you're a accredited investor, let us know. Also, if you have a good deal to bring, uh, let us know. If you, if you have something you want to sell or you're a broker you, or something comes up, happy to work with you uh, and on that as well. So send it over if you find something good. But thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Hope everybody learned something from each of the millionaires we're just trying to tell their stories and, and help all of us learn. So without any further delay, please help me welcome Travis to the show. Travis, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah. So I uh, just actually had a change of jobs. I've been in the same industry. It was in the telecom industry for pretty close to 20 years, kind of transitioning into agriculture. And uh, you know, next month I turn 40. So I feel like I'm right in that middle age of my life. Um, so it's kind of a good time to make a job transition. Uh, give a little bit more background. You know, um, my, my primary interest for income is, is real estate. So as far as like a passion for making some money, I would say real estate has sort of been my, my interest. And I've worked really hard kind of on a personal aspect at making sort of a real estate business work. I've got about 20 units, um, or exactly 20 units. So, uh, that's where we're at with that. And it, it's been growing the last several years pretty well. I've got that business stable. The last couple of years, I did some real big growth. And so I was kind of with this COVID thing and everything hitting, I was really just at the point where it kind of made me a little nervous, but it's all worked really well. Um, I've really got things stabilized. Two days ago, I got my last unit rented. So I'm feeling really good. We're at 100% capacity and everybody's paying their paying their rent. So, so that's good. Or the, the majority of their rent. Yeah. So that's really where I'm at. I, I do, you know, have some, I do have like a Roth IRA and, and all that stuff, but um, I kind of use somebody else for that. That's not my passion is not managing or, you know, day to day looking at stocks and this and that, that stuff is a little more passive for me. Totally. Yeah. And we'll get into all the details, uh, but, but before we do net worth is sitting where today? Right at about 2.7 million, I think. So, you know, and I don't, again, I don't really focus on that so much as kind of trying to get my income going. So I sort of realized with the real estate holdings, you know, at some point that's likely to go down. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point it's 2 million instead of 2.7 million. But as long as I'm still cash flowing money each month, then I'm happy. Yeah, it's an interesting shift. Clark and I have talked with a few millionaires on the show about that. One way to keep score is net worth, right? And I think it's it's very easy for us to to get into the, the net worth game. And I think it's a great way for a majority of us to to really actually keep score and you know look and see what progress we've made. But like you mentioned, at some point that net worth is going to get you know become some sort of income stream, whether it's withdrawing from a four hundred one k or IRA or whatever, or pulling cash flow from real estate. And that's really what you know, the crux of everyone, everything that everyone's really after is that income stream to live off of. So 
I want to get into just the the breakout though uh, for our listeners and your net worth percentage wise. How much do you have in your real estate versus maybe some of the market investments that you have? So you know, net worth total net worth is two point seven million. If I'm looking at it, we have. You know, so in my four, I just rolled a four hundred one k over into Edward Jones. That's six hundred and sixty, or yeah, six hundred and five hundred and fifty six thousand. My wife and I each, the last couple of years ago, we started Roths at seventeen thousand. We set some money aside for my son when he was born. We've got about sixty two thousand in there, and then another small account with about twelve thousand. So that total is about six hundred and sixty seven thousand. And then I probably should have added up the um. The homes, it's really to let's see equities. Yeah, about one point six million in equity in real estate. Wow, and that includes your primary residence, or those are just rentals? That includes my primary residence. Yes. Okay. Wow, that's pretty phenomenal. The money that you have invested in the market, or I guess in your IRA and and four hundred one k, is that all invested in the market in securities or bonds or both or? Yeah, so it's you know it's all mutual funds. Some of it is in bonds. You know, I'm more on the aggressive side, so you know I'm I'm fairly young. I, I use a, a financial advisor, and so you know he kind of helps me out for the most part. I have some input, you know, like from time to time. I'm really big on relationships, and I have developed some relationships with some key people, including the financial advisor, but then some other people that I have a lot of trust in, and you know, so I make some changes from time to time, and don't lean a hundred percent on him, but. Uh, we're towards the aggressive side and coming towards a time when I may get a little less aggressive here, closer to the election, that sort of thing. I feel like we're getting the market's pretty high and we're headed into some kind of crazy times, I think. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, you have quite the balance in those for being the, the age that you are. How long have you been contributing to those? And is it something that you max out every year? Yeah, so... My stories, I guess maybe that's the most interesting part of my story. I could almost nail it down exactly for you. Uh, I got my first professional job when I was 21 or my first job making real money, I guess I would say. And I think I had $2,200 in my name and that was November 1st, 2001. So I can tell you that was what I had that and I owned a truck in 2001. So that's was where I was at pretty close to 20 years ago. And I was fortunate to get a job that made pretty good money. I think the first couple of years, I made about $60,000 a year. That ramped up by about 2006 to around 100. I mean, it was a commission-based job. So well, it was a base pay plus a commission. So I had some years I made 120000 I had some years I made 100000 starting around 2005. Uh, we had a 401k, 401k match up to 6%. So I always put in at least 6%. Most of the time I put in you know, more than that. When I was really young, the first few years, I didn't have many bills or anything like that. wasn't trying to save for a house at that point in time, so I was probably putting in, you know, twelve to fifteen percent. I was making a lot more money than I had had before, and I really understood compound interest. And I knew, like, okay, if I put in this extra money that I'm not used to having now, um, that's going to add up later in life. So I kind of always had a pension for investing or for saving. You know, I, I like to live well and 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 do fun things and stuff like that. But at the same time, I know if life's going to get easier as we go along, you kind of got to work hard in the beginning, pays off, pays off sooner. Yeah, totally. So how did you get that passion at such a young age? I mean, most people that are 21 are, are, are out hitting the bars, spending all the extra dollars they have on, on some beers. And you were sitting there contributing, to, granted, making great money at, at that age. But how, how did you have that insight to, to do that? You know, I think I was lucky in that I had a dad that taught me a lot about that. So he was pretty open when we were growing up. And from time to time, they ran into this, maybe not some major money troubles, but, you know, there were some disagreements between my mom and my dad about saving and spending and some issues along that. And so my dad was pretty open with me and, you know, talking about credit cards and debt and that sort of thing. So I kind of got a pretty good understanding of that when I was really young. I was, I was lucky in that my dad, kind of was open with his finances and how things were going and like how to how to set yourself up for success. So and I think I just took an interest in it as well. So, you know, I took an interest in it. He was willing to share and it it worked out well. So you mentioned the Roths, Travis, you started them a little later. How come? Is it because you didn't know about them or you were maxing out other retirement accounts? Yeah, I mean I was really just maxing out other retirement accounts, the 401k. And then, you know, I live in the Bay Area of California. It's expensive. So as I got a little bit older, that came to light. I had some people that were saying like, hey, you know, you might want to do that. 
if you're going to put 20% down on a house in the Bay Area, you're looking at, you know, $100,000, $150,000 so, or more. So you really got to save some money. And that's how we, you know, so that, that was why. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to follow up with a couple of things you mentioned to Jace that, that I thought were interesting. So the first, you said you're pretty aggressive in your stock portfolio, right? And I didn't quite catch it. Is it mostly all, it's all stocks, no bonds? I mean, it's all in mutual funds. So right. yeah, I mean, we're, we're 10 to 15% in bonds and it's, you know, it's spread out all, all around. So it's, you know, mid cap, large cap, international. So yeah. I really just talk to my financial advisor once a quarter. I actually probably talk, we have a meeting once a quarter, but I actually probably talk to him once a month. He's become a pretty good friend of mine. I've referred a lot of business to him. I mean, and that's one thing I would tell people is that developing really good relationships with people that are in control of your money is, is really helpful. I mean, nobody's going to look after your money better than you are. But at the same time, you know, developing a close relationship with people that are managing your money and also people that you know that are good with money, they'll take you under their wing most of the time and they will give you that good advice if you're, if you show an interest, just like my dad did. I've done that with some, you know, as we get into this interview a little bit more, I can share a little bit more about, you know, property manager, mortgage broker, some people like that that have really helped me grow just because I showed an interest. And then I also referred customers to them. So your portfolio, I was just curious, your portfolio being more aggressive now, when do you think that's going to shift? Is it going to shift? Meaning, are you going to be more heavily in, in bonds when you retire? Or do you think with, you know, you're at 2.7 million, right? Or ish, right? Just over that w- with your net worth high. And as you continue to, to build it up here, I mean, you're relatively young is, is the net worth going to be high enough and the passive income going to be high enough that you won't need to reallocate those investments? Or, or are you going to be more conservative in bonds when you're closer to retirement? I think I would probably always stay on the aggressive side with the balance in my portfolio. I mean, the stocks to me, like I have almost managed things in in the sense where like, I think I can live off the real estate alone practically. And so then, you know, just taking what I have to take from the stock and from 401ks and that sort of stuff. Like I don't even focus on that so much. I have been fortunate. I have done fairly well for my age. Um, but I, I think that I would keep that stuff aggressive. And I know in talking, one of my previous employees was really good with numbers and he, our company laid him off. It was good. He got a good thing. And he's now a financial advisor for Edward Jones. And so that's part of the reason I have such a good relationship with him. It kind of says that like, you're, you're better off if you can balance your portfolio, if you can have enough money to where you can make it through the downturns, you're going to be better off if you stay aggressive. So sure, you might have a year or two where you're really trying not to access that money at all. But if you can make it through those bad times and you stay aggressively invested, you're going to do better off in the long run and and have more money. So you just have yeah. to have funds set aside to, to make it through the bad times. You can't need the money, so to speak. Right. No, I'm with you. I was just curious if that, you know, I think some of the allocation for some of our millionaires starts to shift at different points in their life. You know, maybe it should, maybe it shouldn't. I don't know. I think for everybody it's different, but just curious to get yeah. your take. The other thing you mentioned to Jay, so I wanted to ask you about it. You said it's, it's, you found it a good thing, I guess, to work harder in the beginning, right? And having it pay off later. Are you happy you did that? Do you, do you look back and say, Hey, I wish I, I would have done more or I wish I would have spent more? Or are you happy now looking, looking back and saying, Hey, that's, that's how I did it. Maybe I didn't spend as much. Maybe I didn't do as much, but now I can reap the financial rewards. Was it a good balance for you? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a that's a fantastic question because I have a friend of mine. So I'm almost 40. I have a friend. He's 27, 28. So he's a little bit younger. And he had the typical college experience, right? So he, or maybe not typical, maybe a high-end college experience. So he and his wife, um, they both went to college and they didn't work much in college. They went through, they graduated college with some debt. And, you know, then they got pretty good jobs afterwards, pretty good income. And they're working, they've been working hard to pay off that debt and try to save money for a house. And how homes here are really expensive. So it's difficult and, and rent's really expensive. So if you can't, it makes it hard to save when your rent's really expensive, right? Especially if you're paying off other debt. And we had a conversation not long ago where he was like, well, Travis, I feel like, you know, and we're 14 years apart. He's like, man, I feel like you're so far ahead. Like, how did that happen? And that was because, you know, I was working full time when I was going to, co- when I was going to college and my job paid for my education. And, you know, I had a 401k and I was saving money. So I didn't get that college experience that some people get. And I, I feel like I missed out maybe a little bit 
but I was ahead of the game, especially compared to somebody who left college with not much experience and, you know, with some debt. So I'm at a point in my life now where I'm reaping those rewards and I would say it's worth it. You know, I I wasn't a big partier or something like that. I mean, I, I had fun, you know. I went on dates. I went out with friends. We had some parties and stuff like that. So I wasn't just a total stick in the mud. But the rewards now are definitely worth it. So just being ahead. Yeah, no, I just I'm curious because Jason and I talk about it frequently. You know, how much should you spend on a vacation? Should you buy this or buy that or how much to enjoy it now? Right. While you're trying to I mean, you always hear life is short, but at the same time, you want to be financially free, too. And so trying to find that balance, I think, can be hard. Yeah. And, you know, my wife would argue that and she's a conservative person. She doesn't spend a, spend a lot of money. So I, I got really lucky in that regard. She doesn't like buy lots of shoes or expensive clothes or something like that. But she wants those experiences more than I do. And the older I get, we have a six-year-old son now, the more I realize that stuff's really important. you know. So we bought a travel trailer a couple of years ago because we like to camp. So we've been to Yellowstone. We've been up to the Sierras several times. And doing those things has been a ton of fun. So yeah, I think now in middle age with a family, I value those experiences more than maybe I would have partying a little bit more in college or something like that. So I'm really thankful to be comfortable financially at this point in my life where, you know, we wanted to buy it and we were conservative, you know, we bought a $20,000 travel trailer, but you know, we pull it with a 15 year old truck. So it's worked out. Yeah. So when did the real estate start? So I was really lucky with the real estate, you know, um, we were to give you an idea, I was making hundred plus thousand dollars a year. My wife was making 80 plus thousand dollars a year and no debt. I mean, we didn't have a car payment, nothing like that. And we were looking to buy homes around here and it felt like we just really couldn't afford it. And I remember telling her, you know, if we, if people like us making 180 to $200,000 a year, if we, if we can't afford it, something's got to change. It just can't stay that way. And so we bought our house actually February 29th, 2008 was the day that it closed and we could have done better. If we would have waited another year or two, we would have done quite a bit better on the price. And I remember feeling a little agitated about that. And, you know, like, man, like we bought on the downward slide, but we could have saved a hundred, $150,000. And that was when, you know, but we were still living well under our means, you know, no car payments, nothing like that. We were saving money. I had a couple of investments with the company that I worked for was going to pay me out, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars over the next couple of years. And so I just decided, well, you know, let's go buy some real estate. So we started buying investment real estate in 2010. Wow. Good time to buy, right? I wish I would have bought everything I looked at. (laughs) I've heard, I've heard, yeah, I've heard that on other podcasts. Uh, There's one where the guy's like, oh, we were spinning our wheels, like trying to decide which of the two properties to buy. You know, we only had X amount of capital or whatever it was. I can't remember. And we had enough money to just buy one of the two deals. And we kept going back and forth. Which one's better, A or B, A or B? And he's like, now I look back and I'm like, dang it, I should have found a way to buy both of them. Yeah. So, Anybody who bought then looks like a genius. But, you know, yeah. you had to be, you had to be funny. There wasn't a lot of people with good credit and money. That was the hard part back then. And was it, was it much harder to get a loan? Or because you had the good credit and the cash and the higher income, was it okay for you? Well, it was difficult to get a loan. So the first property that we bought is the only real estate I've ever sold. It was a condo. And you had to, if you were going to use back then, and I don't know if it's different now, you had to, in order to use the income of the rent to qualify for the purchase price of the property, you had to have been a landlord for a year. And so clearly we didn't have that. So we, a real estate agent, friend of mine is actually a, a broker. I, I told him what I was looking for. I was looking for a condo. I had, had a friend who had bought a couple of condos. And so we bought a condo for $105,000 cash. So that was our, our very first property. And we felt we felt safe. With, with, the, with the intent to rent it out? Yeah. So we had our home and then that was 2008 and we had saved, you know, another hundred grand and we bought the condo knowing, you know, it had like $300 in association fees, but it rented for like I don't remember twelve fifty or thirteen hundred dollars a month or something like that. So we knew we were we were making money and probably going to do what we kind of have already done with multiple multifamily real estate properties. Yeah. So now let's just for our listeners here, big picture. So you you mentioned earlier, right? Twenty units, pretty much fully yeah. leased now. 
What are those yep. cash flow? How much do you collect? So if everything's rented, the, if everything's rented, so for the first time I went through a 1031 exchange, January 8th, 2019, I sold that original condo and I went and I bought 10 units that were kind of undervalued, did a whole big renovation, had to, you know, move some people out and things like that. But if everything's rented right now, we're about $22,500 a month in monthly rents. And, you know, one thing I'll say, like, I've always been conservative in trying to make sure there's a cushion. So my mortgages, including my personal, the house that we live in, is $10,375. So I've always tried to keep it where the mortgages are less than half of the monthly rents that come in. When it's when I'm at that level, I, I feel very comfortable. And, you know, I usually don't include my my personal home, but in that calculation, that, that actually had our home for the first time, we're, we're kind of there. So what does that mean? The rents are about 22000 so you're netting, what, 10 or something, eight after repairs? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. You always have some expenses, right? You know, sometimes someone's moving out or whatnot. So yeah, we're about seven or $8,000 a month. And I think that, you know, there's actually room to go up from there with some of the rents. So my goal has been, you know, you set many goals for yourself along the way. And so a couple of years ago in 2018, when I decided to sell the condo and to do this 1031 exchange and go buy some other properties, my goal was to earn $10,000 a month. And I think in the next couple of years, we're, we're going to get there. We're, we're pretty close right now, but I, I continue, you know, I've, my method of investing has kind of been to stay away from where the big money is. I sort of learned that in the beginning. So we're Bay area, right? California, things are super expensive. When real estate was really hot in 2010, I could see properties and I was like, that's a no brainer. Let's go buy that. That's a no brainer. Let's go buy that. I had, I felt like I had all my ducks in a row. I'm pre-approved. I've got my money down, you know, ready to go. And I'd go in there and someone with what I called at the time, you know, real money would come in and just smoke me. They'd offer cash or something like that, you know? So I had to go to the secondary and the tertiary markets. So places where they weren't quite looking and scoop up those deals. So I've kind of found a knack for that, you know, and as real estate went higher and higher and higher, that's where it got easier to make the money. You weren't com- competing against the really big companies that had tons of equity. And honestly, that's where the rents could go up more. So I kind of specialized in, okay, let's take this property. It's in a nice, maybe it's in an up and coming area, an area that's, you know, getting better. And then let's take it and let's, let's fix it up. Let's fix the outside, make it look nice go in, make place, make, you know, fix up the whole inside. And I don't make them super nice, but try to do the value adds and then get the rents up a little bit. So, um, yeah. So that, where, where are you buying? So I bought in South Monterey County back in 2010, 2011, 2012. And then in the central Valley, Merced is the actual town that I bought the 10 units and the four units in over the last couple of years. And I picked that town because it got hit the hardest on Wikipedia claims the hardest in the country in 2008. But in 2009, they opened a UC Merced, so a brand new college there. So that has brought a whole lot of students from other places in the Central Valley there. And I bought pretty close to that side of town and just in an area that's getting better and better and better. So um, that's made it easy to uh, to get the rents up and, and cash flow. Yeah. Okay, cool. So still in California and still close to you. Yeah, you know, if you were going out of state, but all in state close to you. Yeah. And you know, I've thought about going out of state and there's some good reasons to do that. It just sort of hasn't been in my comfort level. I have a very close relationship with a property manager. He he's a property manager and he's also been my real estate agent. And, you know, he helped me through the 1031 exchange. He knew that market. So we identified that market. It's two hours from us, but he has some friends and some other people over there that's that's helped us out as far as with maintenance. He has some connections with maintenance people, painters, that sort of thing. So even though it's a little ways away, he still manages them and we kind of knew what we were doing. So the the managing, you know, from afar, a plane trip away is a little frightening to me. But, you know, down the road that might that might be something we'll look at because California is getting so difficult. Um, the rent control thing that they put into effect last year, they kind of, you know, I bought in January and my goal was to sort of slowly raise the rents, do a good job, you know, renovate the property. I spent about a hundred thousand dollars on the property, took all the trim off the building on the outside, painted the building, 
you know, painted the insides of the units, replaced carpets that needed to be replaced, you know, appliances, those sort of things. And my plan was to, you know, raise the rents gradually so that people wouldn't get a shock because they were very, very low, which was why I was able to get a good deal when you buy a commercial property that is, you know, more than four units, the value of the property is based on the rents. So since this particular property, the owner hadn't been raising his rents, I was able to get a, a better deal and know, okay, if I go in, I spend the money to make it nice, I can raise the rents and hopefully I can do it slowly so that I don't really shock anybody. But then they backdated the rents to March 15th, 2019, which... You know, I had already outlaid all my capital and things that threw some wrenches in my plans and uh, made things a little more difficult. But luckily, we made it through. Your ratios are pretty good, right, Travis? So you mentioned that not much debt on all, all on a lot of these, right? You have pretty low leverage. Yeah, I mean, the like one of them you have looks at like 20 percent levered and the others are around 50 percent. I mean, there's a couple that are a little higher, but it's not like you're 75, 80 percent on all these. Yeah, I mean, that was a factor. I mean, everything I bought, I put at least 25% down. Even the 10 units, it was, it was 35%. You know, we bought those in 2019, but the other, the other properties, it was just that I bought them in, you know, 2010 and 2012, right around that time frame. So, you know, they were just smoking deals at the time and, you know, rent has gone up in that time frame. So. And yeah. these are, these are all your, yours, or do you partner with people or? All mine and my wife. So we've, we've done all this on our own. Wow. Wow. It's pretty amazing. How much do you guys spend a year? You know, that's a pretty good question. I mean, not counting anything coming out of the rentals, I would probably guess we spend, you know, I don't know, $85,000 a year, something something yeah. like that. No, I'm just curious because if, if you're netting $8,000 a month from these, right, that gives you 96000 a year. Yeah. And you got the stock portfolio. Yeah. Do you, do you, I mean, I think you know what's coming. Do you ever just say like, I'm done? I'm going to, I'm going to take this passive cash flow, right? My leverage is pretty low. I'm going to pay out. These are going to get paid off and I'm going to live off this cash flow. You know, I mean, well, the, the $10,000 a month was, was the goal, right? And you got to realize that, you know, I had seven units, not 20 units in 2018. So January, 2019, I bought the 10 units. I mean, I laid out a hundred thousand dollars to fix the parking lot, fix all that, the outside of the building, the inside of the building, those kinds of things. So we're getting to a really comfortable position and I'm, I'm really proud, proud of that. But I, I think the goal now has changed to probably $200,000 a year. And then maybe we, we retire. So, you know, I recently changed jobs. I'm with a really fortunate, have a place I really like to work with something that I'm really interested in. There's a really good balance of work and personal life. So I don't, I don't feel the crunch that I did previously where, you know, I, I didn't really didn't want to be there. Previously, I would say I was making sacrifices that I didn't want to, that I didn't enjoy. And now, you know, if I need to come home at a certain time, I can. So uh, I'm happy with that. And I think, you know, work another 20 years and try to get reinvest all that money. That's been my strategy all along with the real estate. And it's worked flawlessly where, you know, just all that money goes right back in and we grow that part of the business. And I didn't think I would be here when I started back in 2010. I didn't think that we would be making eight, $9,000 a month. That was a goal, but it, it has kind of worked out. I sort of feel a little bit lucky, but at the same time, you know, I, I worked really hard, you know, lots of weekends, overpainting, you know, looking for things, just doing that sort of stuff. So yeah, I think that day's coming, but now I don't have to be so involved in the day-to-day -day part. Like I'm not going over at night and painting apartment buildings or doing something like that. The money's coming in. So, you know, we let that money build up for a few years. And when the time is right, we'll buy another rental property. So that's sort of the plan with that is to let that kind of yeah. build itself. No, and just your, to your last point, I think it's a good point. And I'm, I'm curious, how do you know when to pull the trigger? Is it just when you find a good deal? I mean, how do you know? Is there a point where you say, geez, I have $200,000 in cash. I got to get rid of it. I'm going to find something. Or do you just wait for something to come? And whenever it comes is when you pull the trigger. How do you know when you have too much cash or how much to hold? Yeah, that's that's the tough question, right? And you kind of, it's that's that's fluid, I think. You're, you don't know. Like if, if real estate goes really low, I think I'll be a much, I'll be much better now at recognizing when that time is 
than I was before. Had I, you know, back in 2010, I could think of many investments that I could have afforded pretty inexpensively that would have panned out. Now I think it's, it's tough. People want, you know, all my friends want to buy homes, but they're so expensive. It almost doesn't make sense. And so I think you've got to really look at the picture and I'll stick to that formula of, Hey, is this, does this make real sense? Like, is the mortgage going to be, is it barely going to cover the mortgage? If it's barely, if the property is barely going to cover the mortgage, then no way. You know, there's some people who would buy properties like that where they feel like, Hey, they're going to go up in value. That's never been my play. I've always been after the cash flow property, the property that makes, you know, that makes money every month, every month. I'm more comfortable with that. So I'm not afraid to. It's the same thing when we bought our house. I mean, we were saving money, right? We knew that it was unaffordable for everybody else. And I knew that things had to change. So there might come that time where I built up three, four hundred thousand dollars or something like that. And then I know I can go buy a property that's maybe a little bit overpriced and it'll make money. At the same time, I think when you have that amount of money, it's a little bit easier to go find a deal. You're kind of competing against the people that I was trying to compete against when I kept getting smoked when there was good deals, right? So the more money you have, the easier it is to go in and say like, okay, I'll buy this place cash. Or maybe there's a property that has some problems and they can't, you can't get a Fannie Mae or a Freddie Mac mortgage. And so you can go in and you have the money to buy it and fix whatever's wrong. And then maybe you flip it or maybe you rent it out. So I think those options, the more money you get, the more those options open up. And that's kind of what I've realized in the last several years. Travis, I got to ask something. As you built up this portfolio, what keeps you from maybe cashing out and refinancing some of these properties and taking that capital and going buying you know, several <laughs> all at once? So, well, I, I actually did that and I took out a home equity line of credit uh, a little over a year ago because we had a bunch of equity in our house. And I did go buy one property. That was sort of an experiment for me because, you know, I was looking for ways to make money. I don't sit still well and, you know, just sort of needed a project. And so we did buy the last four units that we bought over in Merced. They were like, there was one block that's kind of bad in a bad neighborhood, but all around it is pretty nice. And like I said, that town, that part of town has been getting better. So I knew that like, okay, this is a bit of a project and that's been a little bit of a pain, you know, um, but I was ready for that. So I've, I've done that, but I'm still conservative and that's, that's what's, it's sort of fun for me. I knew that there was some risk there and I might regret it down the road, but at the same time, I knew that I could afford it. Like we can easily absorb it. You know, if it ends up being a mistake, it ends up being a mistake, but that's where maybe the education is worth that, right? So if it costs you twenty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, well, you learned something. It was not a huge amount of money to lose, but I think in the long run we can absorb that and it'll it'll pan out. Yeah. So I've, I have done that one time, and uh, we're in the middle of that experiment. Awesome. So as as you continue here, you mentioned that you wanted to get to two hundred thousand. Do you have any other goals uh, out out in the future in the next decade or so? Is there a net worth you know target that you want, or is it really just honing in on that two thousand dollar mark that you can kind of live off of? Yeah, I mean that that's always been it for me is finding ways to increase your your monthly return what you what you earn because I think another friend you know he's 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 more on the he wants to invest but he's more on investing in really nice places and places that will go up in value. You know, my question always to him is, is, well, how do you enjoy that? How do you, if that property, yeah, it's going to go up and you own this beautiful property and you can take me by and you can show me like, oh, I've got this place in Carmel that I own and it's worth three, four hundred thousand dollars more now than when I bought it. Well, how do you enjoy that on a monthly basis? How does that give you a return? And, you know, I guess you could refinance it and you could pull some money out. But at the same time, like I want to be to that point where I could just not work. And if I don't have to work, then that to me is more enjoyable. So that's, that's the focus. I I do not look at the value of it. In fact, I would not be surprised if the value of my portfolio goes down in the next couple of years to some degree. Um, but I'm a hundred percent okay with that as long as the money's still coming in every month. Yeah, totally. So now let me ask this, why not self-direct what you have in the market and, and go invest in real estate for the cash flow? You know, I guess most of it's in 401k and 
you know, I, I would probably have some penalties. So I, I don't want to take that risk. And I think that being balanced is, is the way to go. You never know what's going to happen. So um, I like the balance that I have between the two. So in terms of management, Travis, for the, the real estate, do you self-manage everything? No, I have a property manager. So a guy I have a, a close relationship with, um, I managed his account, part of his account for his business. That was how we met. And so he manages my real estate. I used to manage, you know, one of the bills that he has on his, on a monthly basis. And, you know, we know each other that way. So he charges me, you know, 6% to manage that. And we talk, you know, once a week or so about different things. So, and a property manager, in my opinion, I've referred quite a few people to him is worth its weight in gold, you know, or it's worth more than you pay. That's, that's for sure. So, you know, the amount of discounts that you get from, they have relationships with people like painters or people where you're buying appliances from, or, you know, just every single plumbers, electricians, all those vendors. So when you get to 10, 15, 20 units, you've got people, you, you can't go do that stuff. Or if you have a regular job, you're not going to be able to, you know, call and manage those people. And the discounts that he gets by, cause he's got, I don't know, he has 2000 units or something like that. So he keeps these people busy all the time. So I'm not paying the regular retail rate. I'm paying a reduced rate because he gets a volume discount. So between that and then him, you know, giving me a little bit of a discount because I've got 20 units. I don't think there's any way I could save money by doing it myself. And not, not to mention keeping the rents at market rate. He's pretty aggressive at, you know, getting me top rates. And then you don't have to be the bad guy either. So somebody's, you know, not paying their rent. They go serve the notice. All those things are just way more of a headache. So if you're good at, you know, finding deals or you can just do what you're good at, but um, you have one or two units. Yeah. Maybe you want to manage them. But um, beyond that, I would do a property manager every time. No, it's a, it's a good answer. And it's things I think people don't think about, right? In terms of the discounts, you're not going to Home Depot to buy a toilet, right? You're getting it cheaper. Yeah. Did you always do that? Or did you self-manage when you had just a few? Or when did you make that switch? No. So I've known him since before I um, started investing in real estate and just used him from the very beginning. So I'm a really loyal person. You know, I same thing with my mortgage broker, use the same guy every single time. Sometimes, you know, you can shop around, you can kind of play things to, to try to work people against each other. And that's never been my, my deal. I've always just stayed loyal to people and tried to make re- recommendations to them. Now, if somebody, you know, if I don't like the relationship, I have changed a time or two, you know, with someone like an insurance broker or something like that. But um, I've always found that if you find the right person and then you, you kind of stick with them, you know, they'll advise you really well. And yeah, that's been the way I've, I've done it. Yeah, neat. No, I was just curious. So where do you go from here? You know, just play, keep playing the same game I've been playing, you know, I mean, live off less than we, than we earn now. That's what we do, you know, continue to save money and try, you know, we live comfortably. We take trips, you know, we drive decent enough cars, nothing, nothing fancy. Keep my wife happy with a few trips. We were supposed to go to Ireland this year. And unfortunately, you know, that didn't work out. So a little bit more travel. And then, you know, try to get to that 200,000 a year mark. And then, then, then we really got to decide what to do. And, and I think that's, I really think that's attainable. The bigger it gets, the more that, you know, passive income gets, the easier it is to grow. So, you know, we can maybe be there in 10, 15 years and then, um, decide, do we retire or, or do we work a few more years? So let my wife retire first for sure. So she's been working at her job for quite a few years. I tell her when she gets us medical insurance for life, which she might be able to do another 10 years, then, then she can retire. <laughs> so then I have to decide how long do I work? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting to think about. So I asked this Travis to a few other millionaires that we've had on the show that have high incomes and also have a lot going on the side in terms of real estate or business investments or that sort of thing. How have you decided, or let me back up, managing your career, how have you been able to manage and, and grow and increase your income through your career and also build up this real estate portfolio on the side? Obviously, hiring out the management helps, right? You're not having to go yeah. over there on a Thursday night and fix a toilet when something goes wrong. But at the same time, how have you been able to say, okay, you know, I have X amount of hours in the day, I'm going to put this much towards my career and really try and grow and progress and, and increase my income there? 
or I'm going to put this much time towards finding another real estate deal or learning about real estate or finding a good mortgage broker to partner with. How do you balance your time on those two aspects? Because either one can be demanding, right? And if you try and do them at the same time, sometimes I feel like it's hard to find that balance. Yeah. Another good question. I had to look at where I was going to get the most return from. And that was how I made the decision. So there was a time with the previous company I was working for where, you know, I wanted to climb that ladder and I, I kind of ran into some walls basically where I was going to have to move, move around. And this was home for us and we didn't want to move. And so that was when I shifted gears and decided, well, you know, I'm at this place where I'm stable in my career and I can do a good job. The job got pretty easy. You know, I mean, I, I could do it without a whole lot of I knew what to expect and I knew what I needed to do in order to do a good job. I always wanted to do a good job for my employer. I didn't want to, I want to make sure that I was earning my paycheck and giving them what they needed. But at the same time, there, there came a point where I shifted gears. I said, well, okay, this is where I can get more return based on the energy that I spend. And so, you know, I spent some time working really hard for a couple of years growing that real estate. And there was two points in my career with them where I did that. And, you know, at one point I, I worked really hard at that because I was comfortable in what I was doing. And then I changed jobs with them in order to try to climb the ladder. And that didn't really pan out because I was going to need to move. So then I, you know, spent a few more years working on the real estate. And now, you know, I kind of got that to a stable place and I was able to find another job in another completely another industry that I'm very excited to have. Um, and so, you know, I know I kind of got a put this on hold and make sure, you know, the real estate, like I'm not going to be spending as much time and energy there, but um, I got to go learn this other industry and make sure that I'm, you know, doing what I need to do for the employer. And there might come a time when it's time to grow the real estate and uh, work on that a little bit more again. Yeah. So I would say looking, looking at, looking at where you're going to get the most return for your, your time investment because your time is limited. Right. So as you look back on your journey, Travis, 2.7 million, fairly young. Obviously, it's going to continue to grow as, as you buy more rentals or, or keep working, right? It, are there a few things that you can point to that, that say, hey, that's why I've been so successful? Was it that you worked so much early on? Was it that you were willing to take a chance and, and buy this real estate? And is there a few things that you can point out and say, hey, that's why I've become as successful as I have financially? Yeah, I would say, you know, always looking to the future and trying to figure it out. I spent a lot of time crunching numbers on spreadsheets and just trying to figure things out with people that I knew that were successful. I I talked to them and asked them what to do, you know, take people to lunch, go to lunch with them. So, you know, I spent a lot of time working on that. It wasn't, you know, I think a lot of people have plans or hopes or dreams, but you've actually got to take the time to work the numbers out and come up with a strategy and then make sure you're you're doing something to help yourself move forward. I was always looking, trying to figure it out. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's put a budget together and let's save some money. Let's, you know, figure out where we're going to spend it. So um, it doesn't come without work. Even real estate, people say, you know, oh, real estate's passive income. I, I don't really view it as passive income. I mean, I've worked really hard to make this stuff work and make sure even now knowing, Hey, where are my expenses going? You know, understanding what's costing me money. What can I do to save money? I mean, am I better off with carpet? Am I better off with tile? Those kinds of things, you know? So it's not as passive as some people think it is. It's work, but then, you know, when it starts to pay off, it becomes fun. So, um, and then you start to see a light at the end of the tunnel where, you know, Hey, I'm going to be able to retire one day and I'm going to be able to live comfortably. So, and then, you know, that's the, the light at the end of the tunnel for you. Yeah. Thanks. I know, I know we're running short on time, but I just want to ask about your financial advisor. How come not do it yourself? Well, I don't love stocks. and I don't love that. I guess you can, it, it would just take too much, too much time and I don't have the passion for it. You know, it's, it's someone that was a previous employee of mine that has now, you know, moved on. So I have a lot of trust with him and it's just not something I want to do. I'm not passionate about it. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. So just a couple of rapid fire questions here to close. Uh, if you're comfortable sharing, what's been your range of, of household income, excluding the real estate, I guess? Yeah, that's because the real estate's hard. So, you know, I started out in 2001. So I guess the first year was 2002, making about 60,000. By around 2005, I was making 100 to 120 
that's remained the same for me pretty much the entire time. And my wife and I got married in 2006 and she was making about 70 to 85,000. So good for you guys. Yeah. Uh, how old were you when you became a millionaire? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, that was probably, I can remember figuring up our net worth. I don't know. It was probably six or seven years ago. You know, as the real estate values went up and the stock market went up, it happened pretty fast, right? So from a million to two million to 2.7 million came way faster than zero to a million. So that's six, seven years ago, probably or so. So just final question here, Travis. I mean, what's the what's your final advice if if you're giving it to somebody? I know you mentioned that you mentor a guy who's what 28, I think you said, right? Yeah. What advice would you give? Or as you look back on your story, is there something you wish you would have done differently? Not too many regrets. You know, I mean, I could say there was investments I should have made, but I think the number one thing always done and my wife has always done is, you know, live a little bit below your means and save that money. As you live below your means and you make investments, you earn more and more money. And so then what was, you know, it doesn't take you long to where your income now is high enough that you can do those things you wanted to do before and still save money. Whereas before, maybe you would have been doing it on credit. So, you know, um, stick away, stay away from debt, you know, driving old cars and things like that is, uh, is just fine. It's a lot more comfortable to do that and have some money in the bank than it is to have a bunch of bills coming in every month and not know how you're going to pay them. Well, thanks so much. Really good advice, Travis. Really appreciate you coming on net worth over two and a half million, 2.7 to be exact. Yep. Thanks so much. Really appreciate you sharing the time and, and taking some blunt questions from us. So <laughs> yeah. Thanks, thanks for coming on the show. No, my pleasure. Thanks for the interview. Thanks, Travis. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.